0: Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter twenty-one this morning, the words will not be on the screen. If you're used to that, uh, they won't be there. It's it's too much that we're going to cover this morning to put on the screen. So, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, feel free to use one of the the red Bibles in front of you from the pew rack. And if uh, you don't have a Bible at home, take that with you. Uh, we would love for you to keep that. Uh, it, it's it's more important that you have. A copy of God's word. Uh, then we have one right there, and we can replace ours. So, not a big deal there. I'm going to finish last week's sermon. Now, y'all are thinking, Michael, you preached seven hours last Sunday. How in the world did you not get finished? Well, uh, I had to speed through uh, the the takeaway, and and I wanted to be so certain that you understood the text and 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 saw. Where how we were getting to the takeaway, that I took up all my time for the takeaway. But that, that's, that's all right, because we can begin with last week's takeaway, and it's a nice little segue into this week's passage. It's a long passage that we're looking at, um, the equivalent of a uh, chapter and a half, two chapters. But the, the focus, the hinge, the linchpin, the gotcha moment, is toward the end. The rest of it, there are facts and tidbits and things to understand about Paul's continued disobedience here, and we'll point out some of those as we move through them. But the, the, the punch in the gut is later on. So it works out well because it follows on the heels of what we talked about last week when we said that faith can be disobedience. And I got some questions after church about that. And that's good. That means you were listening and that you were thinking, and that's what I want. I should get one, two, three, four, five, 125 questions every Sunday. Now, what did you mean? And, and did you, and, and, and please, not that many. Talk amongst yourselves first and, and see if you can come to a conclusion. But, but that's great. I, I love questions. What did you mean by that? How did you, but what about this? And, and I'm going to actually address some of those this morning because they were good questions. But faith can be disobedience. I'll tell you what I mean by that in a minute, uh, or remind you what I mean by that in a minute. And if you weren't here last Sunday, you can go to our Facebook page and you can watch the entire service as we did at Facebook Live. But probably by the end of the day, just the sermon itself will be on there. You can watch it on Facebook or you can uh, download a podcast for iTunes or some other podcaster if, uh, if it's not iTunes that you use to kind of catch up. But I'll, briefly, what we ended up with last week, the, the takeaway from last week, was that sometimes the message is clear, the reminders are obvious, the outcome doesn't look right, and faith can be disobedience. All those things were going on in Paul's life through chapter 21, verses 1 through 16. The message was clear. The Holy Spirit, the the people, the Holy Spirit had told him not to go to Jerusalem. The reminders were obvious. He was getting these constant reminders about his ministry calling to reach Gentiles, and he was missing those. The, The outcome didn't look right. Yes, he was told numerous times, especially at the beginning of his call, right after Damascus, or actually in Damascus, when he was talking to Ananias. He was told that he was going to face persecution and and how much he would suffer for the mission endeavor to the Gentiles, but this outcome that he was facing, if he went to Jerusalem based on the chains and the imprisonment that he was going to face, was going to greatly hinder the call to the Gentiles. It was going to end up being a problem in Jerusalem, not a problem to the Gentiles. So all those things came together together. And Paul makes this wonderful statement of faith in verse 13. I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That is a great, great statement of faith. And it is a statement of faith that we should be able to make every day. That I am ready not only to be bound, but to die for the sake of the gospel. But make sure... We are being bound and dying within God's will. In this case, Paul was not in God's will to go to Jerusalem. Sometimes, we said in the takeaway, sometimes we're called to step out on faith, and then sometimes we are determined to do our own thing and call it faith. That's what I ended on last week. Let me phrase it a different way for you. We can take a step of sincere faith and be wrong. We can believe that God will provide, God will take care of us. We can step out on faith, and that was not a step of faith we were told to take. And that's what I mean by faith can be disobedience. In ourselves, in our spirit as the scriptures tell us about Paul over and over, in our spirit, we can say, this is a great step of faith on my part. I'm making this decision and fully trusting the Lord to take care of me. When in fact, what the Lord is saying, son, I ain't gonna take care of you on this because you're not supposed to be here at all. This is not what I'm telling you to do. So you can take that step of faith and yes, I will be with you, I will go with you and I will still work this out according to my will, but where you are right now is not what I told you to do. So you're not going to take, remember I talked about Indiana Jones and the last crusade and him stepping out on that bridge and suddenly it was there and he couldn't see it? God's saying, the bridge isn't going to be quite as close to you as you thought. You're going to fall a while and you're going to hit and it's going to hurt. I'm going to be right there when you hit and then I'm going to use that splat in your life to do something with your life. I've seen this over and over in my life, and I'll I'll, I'll explain that a little bit more because that was one of the questions I got last Sunday. Sometimes God's will isn't obvious. Sometimes God's will isn't obvious. Lord, what am I supposed to do in this situation? What, What step am I supposed to take? And it's okay that God's will is not obvious. It's okay that our Christian walk takes full reliance on God. As a matter of fact, it's more than okay. It is required that the next step not be an obvious step. It is not a step of faith if Indiana Jones saw the bridge in the last crusade. That wasn't a step of faith. That was a step of logic. Well, there's a bridge. Of course I can step on it. Every step. Every step in the Christian life, is supposed to be and is a step of faith, but sometimes it's just not obvious what we are supposed to do next. And I talked briefly, I mean, I ran through the five ways that we learned when we went through experiencing God that we can determine what God's will is in our life. Scripture, prayer, the Holy Spirit, people, and circumstances. Those are five indicators in our lives of what god's will is for us in our lives but then the question i think that's obvious is what if they disagree what if two of them say go one way three of them say go the other or or some combination of that because that's what we see here in chapter 21 when we talked about paul last week he believed he was supposed to go here he believed He was hearing from the Holy Spirit. As Luke recorded it, remember, the Scripture is inspired, not Paul's beliefs and thoughts at this time. We go with what Luke says, not what we think Paul was thinking. Luke says he determined in his spirit. Luke never says he heard from the Holy Spirit go to Jerusalem. So, he had... Four of them may be agreeing, but the maybe the most important one, the Holy Spirit, did not. We're going to see in chapter 22, uh, verses 18 and 21, that Jesus had told Paul what his mission was to the Gentiles. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Go to the Gentiles. So Paul, way back right after Damascus, right after his conversion, 20 years-ish, Before this episode that we're looking at now, Paul had gotten his mission, had gotten his calling, and it had not changed as far as Scripture is concerned. Go to the Gentiles. That's your job, to the Gentiles, not Jerusalem, everybody else. So he had his Holy Spirit guidance. He was told what to do. Well, what about Scripture? What would Scripture say in this case? Well, Scripture, even his Old Testament Scripture, would have told him that he was to take the, ble- ne- the, the blessing of God to Israel, to the whole nation. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, when God told Abraham, And through your seed I will bless all nations, not just Jews, not just Israel, all nations, all ethne, Gentiles and everybody. So Paul could go back to even his Scripture and know what his mandate was. Israel had a missionary mandate all throughout the Old Testament. And then we see, okay, but Paul might say, but my people, my people, that's what he was, that's what he was thinking about. Read Romans, my people, my brothers and sisters, Jewish brothers and sisters, they need the gospel, and he was right. But that was not his calling. The Holy Spirit, what if they Disagree. First of all, the Holy Spirit will never contradict Scripture. The Holy Spirit will never tell us to do something Scripture says don't do. The Holy Spirit will never tell us not to do something the Scripture tells us to do. Okay? It will never contradict. But, just because Scripture says... Don't do something, or rather, just because Scripture doesn't say don't do something, it doesn't mean you can. Scripture doesn't say don't look at porn on your computer, right? Because they just didn't have it. Of course, makes sense, but doesn't mean you can. There are principles that there, that are there to guide us into what we are to do. Scripture doesn't say did not tell Paul specifically, don't go to Jerusalem. He couldn't go to God's word and say, see right here, it tells me I can't go to Jerusalem. All right. But just because it didn't say that did not mean that was his calling or his purpose. So we're not going to find in Scripture teenagers where to go to college, young people who to marry. You're not going to find that in Scripture scripture that says, Michael, marry Etta. Michael, go to LSU. Didn't find that in Scripture anywhere. Anywhere. I did find principles, though, that guided me. And I listened to the Holy Spirit to know what decision I was supposed to make and where he was sending me. So Scripture and the Holy Spirit will never disagree. So if Scripture says something, a principle, in this case for Paul, share the blessings of God with the whole nation... And the Holy Spirit says, uh, with all nations, rather, with all nations, and the Holy Spirit says, you're going to take that blessing, the gospel, to Gentiles. Then he has his mandate. He has scripture and the Holy Spirit telling him what to do. So if circumstances, maybe it's an internal circumstance, says, but I want to go to Jerusalem, God says, I get it, I understand, not your job, not where you're supposed to go. And then we need to hear clearly, we don't, because I don't know about you, but I've not had a vision in a temple telling me what my life mandate is. Maybe y'all did, not me. So I have to pray, and my prayers must be empty of my will. So if, if Scripture says one thing, and I believe the Holy Spirit is telling me something similar, I still need to pray about it and my prayers must say, but Lord, I don't. I, I, am, I have a tendency, I have a desire, I have a wish about where and who and that sort of thing. I have to empty myself of that. Circumstances and people can be wrong. It can look bad, therefore I don't want to do it, and that'd be completely wrong. People can say, don't do it, And I know I have to, they're wrong, and the Holy Spirit's not. But in Scripture, remember we're talking about Paul right now in chapter 21. All these people have been telling since chapter 20, actually, telling Paul, don't go. Chapter 20, verse uh, 22, in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. He gets somewhere else and they say, don't go to Jerusalem. He gets another warning about chains. Understand something about the first century church. They were not scared of persecution. They didn't chase it. They didn't like it. But they were not scared of it. Go back to chapters 4 and 5 of Acts and we see that all the circumstances said stop including the Sanhedrin. Don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And While we're talking to you, let's throw a beating on you a little bit too. And they left, rejoicing in the beatings, Praying when they got back to church that they'd have the boldness to continue to share in the name of Jesus. They weren't scared of problems. These people, the Holy Spirit telling him, uh, warning him uh, through every town as we see in chapter 20. The the disciples in chapter 21. Agabus in chapter 21. These people weren't telling him don't go to Jerusalem because we're worried you're going to get beat up. I don't think they could have cared any less that Paul was going to get beat up for the gospel. They knew they were going to be persecuted for the gospel. This was the Holy Spirit saying, don't go. Okay. So what are some implications of that? What are the implications of the wrong decision? Paul made the wrong decision. You you may not still agree with me on that, but I think I've at least fairly clearly showed you why Scripture, or why I would interpret Scripture to be going that direction. So what are the implications of the wrong decision? One of the questions that I got after church, not going to call any names because it's not important, was, don't you believe that God used your time in the School of Music at LSU for your ministry now? If you don't remember, I was not supposed to be a music minister, but when I got called to the ministry at 15, I did not want to preach. Who could stand in front of a group of people and talk for 30 minutes? I should have said, who could stand in front of a group of people and talk for only 30 minutes? That would have been the better question. Anyway, who could do that? I'll, I'll Sing music notes, rhythm, got it. I'll sing, no problem. God wants me to be the minister of music. For five years, that was what I believed my calling was, was to minister of music. In college, I hated the school of music. I mean, they were fine. I just, It wasn't where I was supposed to be. Youth minister, my first uh, summer at twenty years old, or, or my, my first summer youth ministry at twenty years old, I knew God was calling me to preach. First time I stood up and taught the youth, I'm like here it is, this is, and I knew, I just knew. Did God use that time in the school of music for me? Absolutely, absolutely. He he prepared me for things I'm doing now. We can't though say what if. I I would, I would. I think the way I answered the question was, yes. But what if I had never gone to school of music? He might not be using me the way he is now. That might not have been the intent. But because now he is, that's possible. If I had not wandered in our wilderness when I told God no in 2002 about going to the little church in como texas and said no i don't want to do that when god i believe was calling me to be a pastor out of music youth education into being a pastor when i told him no he then used the next nine years of my life to train me to teach me to teach me some things about him to teach me some things about myself teach me some things about ministry, about church planting, that, that I might never have ever gotten not going through those things. But does that make what I did his will? He knew I was going to say no, but I know without a doubt I was disobedient when I said, no, I'm not going to Como, Texas. He, he used those things in my life. I got asked a question, well, what about Paul's letters from prison? What if he, he hadn't gone to prison, would he have written those? Probably, we'd just call them house letters instead of prison letters. They'd have a different tone, certainly, right? He, he, would, he would have a, he, no more, like in Ephesians, you know, I'm, I'm imprisoned for the gospel, I'm imprisoned for this, you know, they would have had a different tone, but God would have still used him to do those things. What I want us to understand, excuse me, understand is that nothing is wasted with God. Even our disobedience, God uses. Now, Paul would tell us in Romans, does that mean I'd be disobedient? In in Romans' case, he says, so grace can abound. I would say, do I be disobedient so God can use some things that he didn't think about using or something? No, no, you moron, you don't think that way. Moron me. But God can use them anyway. So we don't head out and be disobedient just so God can use things. We be obedient, we pray a lot, and we remember that nothing is wasted with God. That's how we find God's will. I cannot tell you, and I said last week, I can't, I cannot and I will not give you pat answers tied up with a nice little bow. I can't do it. I cannot stand up here and say if you follow these 10 steps, you will always, every time, know the will of God and be perfectly in his will every time. And certainly, I can't tell you, you'll never face hardship, persecution, or pain because of those choices. You may face persecution, hardship, and pain because you're in God's will, and you may face persecution, hardship, and pain because you're out of God's will. That's not the indicator. The only indicator we have is what God is telling us to do through prayer through Scripture, through circumstances, the church, and others. That's what I wanted to say last Sunday at the end of the message. This morning, seeing what Paul has now gone through, understanding the takeaway and how he is experiencing this in real time, remember, Luke wrote this after the fact but Luke wrote it in a way so that we would understand Paul should have gotten this. Everything was telling Paul this, not to go to Jerusalem. And what we see in chapter 21, verses, verse 17, through chapter 22, verse 25, I believe, is that it is a downward spiral from not listening. It starts off meh and gets a lot worse real quick. So let's look at that this morning. We're just going to read these chunks as we go through them. The first chunk is chapter 21 verses 17 through the first half of 20. Luke writes, when we reached Jerusalem the brothers and sisters welcomed us warmly. The following day Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them he reported in detail what God had done ...done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified God. Let's stop there for just a second. Notice one little thing. Uh, it's, it's elders, not apostles. The apostles are gone. I don't know where they are, but there's no Matthew and, and, and Peter and uh, the, the twelve. Now it's been passed on to other leaders, other elders... But the report of the Gentile mission is celebrated. They are celebrating. Yay! Gentiles are coming to Jesus. Yay! But only the elders are celebrating. That's all. The church is not. And then we see why as we continue to read. The elder said, picking up in verse 20, the second half of verse 20, and going through 27. You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed. That's great. That's wonderful. Look at all these new believers. And they are all zealous for the law. Uh Uh-oh. They've believed. They've trusted Christ. They no longer have to fulfill the law in order to be saved. And, And now, though, they are believing, but they're zealous for the law. Think back to when we went through Galatians. How some people from James came down and told the church in Galatia, churches in Galatia, "You have to. It's great that you believe, but you got to go through Jewish ritual before you can be saved." And he, Paul confronts that. Uh, 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 Clearly and abruptly He confronts it some in Ephesians He confronts it some in Romans This is a common theme Now we see the heart of it Right here in Jerusalem They are zealous for the law They believe that you have to be Jewish Before you can be Christian Verse 21 But they've been informed about you You are teaching all the Jews Who are among the Gentiles To abandon Moses Telling them not to circumcise their children Or to live according to our customs so what is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have made a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pr- pay for them to get their heads shaved. Then everyone will know what that what they were told about you amounts to nothing. But that you yourself are also careful about observing the law. With regard to the Gentiles who have believed, we have written a letter containing our decision that they should keep themselves from food, sacrificed to idols from blood, from what is strangled, and from sexual immorality. So the next day Paul took the men, having purified himself along with them, and entered the temple announcing the completion of the purification days when the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, and seized him. James has got this idea. It's a bad idea, it turns out. He's got this idea to appease a group in the church. Remember, these are believers. These are church people that Paul is having to appease by going through this ritual to make himself look a certain way. And it does not work. Also notice that the things he's accused of, verse 21, but they have been informed about you. You know what that translates uh, from, the, the Greek, from the English to English? Some people are saying. Some people are saying these things about you. They were lies. Paul had never told them, told the, the Jews to abandon, abandon Moses. He had never told them not to circumcise their children. As a matter of fact, he had an adult circumcised, so his mission to the Jews would not be hindered. And he had never told them uh, not to live according to customs. He followed the feasts. He followed the customs. He did not believe that those things saved him, though. So they were taking something that had a little kernel of truth. Paul had said, Moses can't save you. Circumcision can't save you. Feasts can't save you. Which is what is the truth. And they were taking that. Some people were. And then telling others, well, you know, he's telling people to abandon Moses. You know, he's telling you not to do these the Jews not to these do these things. Lies. They were just lies. And James has this hairbrained idea. Hey, hairbrained. Yeah, that's a pun. They were shaving their heads. Hairbrained idea. Look Jewish. This will be fine. Now they'll think, oh well, he's a good Jew. Never mind. That's fine. We keep reading, we see it didn't work so well. Verse 28, this crowd was shouting. And now it's not all believers, now it's Jews all over town. Fellow Israelites, help! Actually, that probably was the believers yelling to get the non believing Jews to help them out. This is a man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. Still lies. What's more, he also brought Greeks into the temple, and he has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Notice that it was Jews from Ephesus here. Paul had his problems with the Jews in Ephesus. It's a group that continues to follow him around and make trouble for him doesn't matter that he is long gone or they are long gone and far away from him. They are still trying to cause trouble. They see Paul, oh, hell, oh, I saw him with a, a, a Greek the other day. I'm sure he brought him into the temple. Lies. Didn't matter. Folks who were, didn't like Paul were going to believe anything they were told. Verse 30, the whole city was stirred up and the people rushed together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. As they were trying to kill him, word went up to the commander of the regiment that all Jerusalem was in chaos. Taking along soldiers and centurions, he immediately ran down to them. Seeing the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Go figure. Then the commander approached, took him into custody, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. That's the way it works with lies. Nobody knows which one to tell. Since he was not able to get reliable information because of the uproar, he ordered him to be taking, taken into the barracks. When Paul got to the steps, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for a mass of people followed, yelling, Get rid of him! Kill him! So here we have the mob and Paul's arrest. They just want to get rid of It doesn't matter that it's based on lies. Get rid of him. Stir it up tell what you believe what you want to tell what you want to it doesn't matter as long as we get rid of paul verse 37 as he was about to be brought into the barracks paul said to the commander am i allowed to say something to you he replied you know how to speak greek aren't you the egyptian who started a revolt some time ago and led 4000 men uh, of the assassins into the wilderness see they they thought paul was somebody else they didn't you know they were surprised that he knew Greek as well as he did. Paul said, I'm a Jewish man from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. Now I ask you, let me speak to the people. He had asked to speak to the people earlier, earlier in Scripture, in Acts. And everybody said, in Ephesus, when the mob started doing this in Ephesus, and some friends of his who were in charge said, Paul, not a good idea. You're not going to get anywhere speaking to this crowd. Let's go. Paul didn't have friends around him at this point. You notice Luke quit saying we. It's no longer we, it's him, it's h- him, he, he, he. Luke's not, he said, I ain't got nothing to do with this. Paul makes the decision, can I speak to him? Speak to the crowd. The Romans, the, the Romans, said, oh, sure, whatever, who cares? Verse 40, after he had been given permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned with his hand to the people. When there was a great hush, he addressed them in Aramaic. I won't read the whole thing here. This is the, the second time he will give his testimony, a third time in front of Felix. But he gives his testimony. This time he tells it in a way to make him sound very Jewish. He uses phrases here that Luke didn't use earlier when Luke was recounting the testimony in third person. Paul said, Paul said, this happened, this happened. Luke doesn't use the same language because his, he is writing to Greeks primarily, to, to uh, Theophilus. Uh, so he, it, those details weren't as important. When Paul tells it, though, he uses phrases like brothers and fathers. We're all, we're all Jewish. We're all of the line of Abraham. We, we've got all this in common. He, he uh, speaks in Aramaic, not Greek. So they're like, oh, okay, this dude knows Aramaic. All right, maybe we're wrong about this. So he gives his testimony all the way down through verse 16 of chapter 2, attempting to appease them. And then we get to verse 17, the I told you so moment. Here is the, 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 the gut punch of this passage. Paul has given his testimony. He's told how he persecuted Christians, just like y'all. Y'all are doing. I was one of you. I was totally stood there when Stephen was stoned, holding the coat, nodding my head, saying, "Hit him again." This was completely random. Uh, I, uh, former, I mean, he may currently be the director of the Baptist Association in Montana. Baptist Convention in Montana. And it may be a larger area than that. I'm not sure. He w- he shared something on Facebook yesterday that I had never seen before. Uh, not completely. And uh, it was a woman in some Muslim country being stoned to death. Men standing around with phones, some with guns. She was in a hole in the ground. And it was a good eight, ten-minute video, and it was from beginning to end. The the stoning of, of her. And, and to see they begin trying to cover their head and and deflect some of the, the rocks. And we're talking about bricks. I mean, we're not talking about slingshots. We're talking about bricks. These men were throwing as hard as they could and hitting her. And you, you slow, slowly see her no longer able to lift her arms and to deflect, but she's sitting there humped over, and you can see her flinch every time, and then a couple of more minutes in, she's laying there, and she's no longer flinching when a stone hits her. I'd never seen a stoning before. I don't recommend it. They didn't want to see it either. They kept covering her face. She had a shawl. Every time it came off, they'd cover her back up. They didn't want to see that either. It was, it was a pile of clothes, as long as they couldn't see her face. So I have a new image in my head when Paul says, he stood by the stoning of Stephen and gave approval. Paul, he was Saul. Paul knows the extreme 180 of conversion, of trusting Jesus. And he says, I was there, I did that. And and they had probably all, most of them had seen a stoning too. Maybe. And he says, "I saw that. I was there. You you want to doubt that I was one of you? I was fine with killing Christians in the one of the most heinous ways you can imagine. That's who I was." Gives this testimony. In verse nineteen, rather in verse seventeen, Paul says, "After I returned to Jerusalem, this is after." He visited Ananias in Damascus after his conversion and was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance and saw him, God or Jesus, some people believe it's Jesus, telling me Jesus because he mentions Jesus earlier, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten and when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed i stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him he said to me go because i will send you far away to the gentiles say luke saved this part to tell us right now why didn't luke tell us this chronologically when it happened Way back in chapter 9 is when he would have told us. Why didn't he say it then? Because he didn't, it didn't have the impact that the Holy Spirit told Luke that it needed. Luke saved this recounting, this story, for this moment right here. To show us, one, that Paul argues with Jesus. Paul sits there in the temple. How many of you have argued with God? Liars. Uh, I have, Uh, let 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 me not call you names, you're all wonderful people. I've argued with God. I've argued a lot. I've told you. Not only have I argued with God, I've told him flat out, no. Other times I've argued with God, told him he was nuts, and then did what he told me to. And that's probably not much better. But I've had those conversations. Paul here is arguing. I argued with an idea, right? I mean, I argued with a thought. I argued with an impression. I believe God's leading me this way. There's no way, God, you are leading me this way. It's, it's a thought. No, no vision, no image, no voice. I'm, I'm arguing with the way I believe the Lord is leading me in my spirit, in my heart. So it's a little. Mm, there's no excuse, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself feel better and say it's a little less personal to argue with an idea than to argue with a vision and words coming right at you. Paul argued with Jesus, y'all, I do not believe it's a sin to argue with God. I didn't get struck, so maybe, maybe we're good. I don't. I don't believe it is a sin to argue. I don't believe it is... uh, God is big enough to handle our misunderstandings, our confusion, our pain, our screams, our yells, our, why did you do this? Or our, why do you want me to do this? He can handle those. He's not scared of those. Have you ever had a loved one in complete agony over whatever it is that's going on in their lives, and all they can do is scream into your chest. God is not scared of that. I believe He wants that. Who else could we run to if not to our Heavenly Father in those moments? Argue with God. It is one thing to argue, though. It is another to disobey. Paul argues, and he disobeys, and we get supreme irony that as he is telling this story jesus told me leave jerusalem go to the gentiles and he says what does he say what does paul say but god they'll believe my testimony. my testimony is good i got a great testimony they'll believe my testimony i was one of them they will believe this and at that moment Jerusalem attacks. Do you see it? Do you see the irony? He's telling God, "No, my testimony will be perfect." And it's their test, his testimony that makes them mad. It's his testimony that says, "Boo this man. Kill this man. Get rid of this man." It's his testimony that does it. His testimony is supposed to convince them and instead, his testimony triggers them because he uses that one Last word, and they couldn't handle it. Gentiles. In their mind, it proved everything they'd been told. See, see, told you, told you he's throwing out Moses and the law and everything else. Told you, see, he, he's going to, go to the Gentiles. See, kill him, get rid of him. Everything I said was right. Everything I told you is right. So we see that God. Holy Spirit, Jesus, told him not to go to Jerusalem, we see that the church, the church in Troas, the church in Caesarea, the the church in town after town after town, by the Spirit, told him not to go to Jerusalem. We see that as he was trying to, he faced problems. He had to avoid Ephesus because of the problems there. He had to do all these things. He was told what was going to happen when he got there. Circumstances told him not to go to Jerusalem. And his response was, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'll even die when I get there if I have to. Verses 23 through 29. As they were yelling and flinging aside their garments and throwing dust in the air, the commander commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, directed that he be interrogated with the scourge, interrogated by beating, beat him till you hear what you want to hear, to discover the reason they were shouting against him like this. As they stretched him out for the lash, Paul said to the centurion standing by, Is it legal for you to scourge a man who is a Roman citizen and is uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went and reported to the commander saying, what are you going to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. Uh, The commander could be killed for beating a Roman citizen without cause, by the way. So the commander came in and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, he said. The commander replied, I bought this citizenship for a large amount of money. I was rich and I got mine that way. How'd you get yours? You don't have money. Uh, Verse 28, but I was born a citizen, Paul said. He just one-upped him, one-upped this commander in the Roman army. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. The commander, too, was alarmed when he realized Paul was a Roman citizen and he had him bound. Paul makes this great statement of faith in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 21. I'm ready to be bound and even die and we get to the opportunity and he won't even get beaten. I don't blame the man. People have died from this beating numerous times. This is the beating Jesus got before the crucifixion. It's the beating the disciples got in chapter 4 and 5 that they considered it joy to suffer as Jesus did. Paul gets to this point, and his great statement of faith, I'm willing to suffer and even uh, to be bound and even to die, and when the time comes, he doesn't. He wasn't willing to lay down his life. Now, we can, we can only speculate here. I would speculate, though, that he was not depending on the Holy Spirit at this point. I would contend he's not been depending on the Holy Spirit for a couple of chapters. So when the time came for the Holy Spirit to give him words, for the Holy Spirit to give him strength and give him courage, he couldn't do it. I'm okay with that, though, because this was not where Paul was supposed to die. He was supposed to be in Rome. And God, wasting nothing, is using his citizenship right now to get him chained and bound and taken to Rome in prison. He will never be a free man again as far as Acts is concerned because he did not take the beating that he was about to get. Now, Michael, you hate Paul. (laughs) No, Michael doesn't hate Paul. This, This makes me love Paul more. Paul wasn't Jesus. Nobody's Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. Everybody else fails. Everybody else stumbles and sins and gets it wrong. You, me, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and other folk groups. They all get it wrong. Paul is a great example of when not to get it wrong. It it is important that we see Paul fail. It is important for me to know that Paul didn't hear the Holy Spirit. But God used him anyway. We'll talk about it when we get to Acts. Some people think he died in Rome at this point. Other scholars say no. His prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, they don't have the tone of a man about to die. 2 Timothy does. Looks like he ended up in prison again later on. But it's probably the case that Paul was able to leave Rome and go on to Spain and have another great missionary journey. just wasn't recorded in Acts because it wasn't the point. God still used Paul. Believers, God will still use you. I believe that despite my disobedience at 15 and not hearing the proper call to the ministry, Despite my disobedience in 2002, not going to First Baptist Church, Como, Texas, when I should have, and other disobediences along the way, of which there have been many, I believe God's still using me today. I don't believe he's taking his hand off of me, and I don't believe he's taking his hand off of you or this church because of any disobedience in the past. God can still use you, and he will. What's our takeaway this morning First, know that the Christian life and knowing God's will isn't easy. No bows, no wrapping paper, no easy easy uh, uh, platitudes, No nothing. It's not easy. And I'm not worried about scaring unbelievers off. You've got to know, count the cost. Know what you're getting into. It's worth it, though. It is absolutely worth it understand we have everything Paul had Paul didn't have any special scripture he he had prophets we have prophets they don't tell the future necessarily but they do speak God's word to us we have God's word we have prayer we have circumstances we have we Paul we have everything Paul had to know God's will understand though that those messages will often be mixed I've got these people saying do, I've got these people saying don't. Both of them are believers. Pray, 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 pray. Pray, 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 pray. pray. I should have put a dot, dot, dot at the end because you need to pray some more. God's will is never confusion. God's purpose is never to have us Walking around blind, uh, not knowing what the next step is, not knowing what wall we're going to walk into. We may not see the next step, but that is not blindness on our part. That is faith to trust that God is going to lead us. And this is for small things as well as big things. You know, I, marriage, college, next job. We're talking about saying hey to your neighbor that annoys the mess out of you. We're talking about little things where we need to trust God for what's next. The biggest thing you can trust God for, though, is your salvation. See, God's will, God's plan, God's design, this is all where we begin, and we want to understand what we're supposed to do. How do I fit into God's plan? You don't without a relationship with Jesus Christ. I say you don't. I mean, you do because you're here, but... You cannot understand God's will and God's plan for your life until you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, until you know God's design. And what keeps you from that is your sin. Your sin messes up his plan, messes up his will. You want to know why Paul didn't know God's will at this time? Sin. Do You know why you're struggling with what you need to do next? Sin. You know why I didn't go to Como? Sin. You know why I didn't hear the call at 15? Sin. Every time. And it leads to brokenness. I was broken, not in God's will, when I spent two years at the School of Music at LSU. I was broken for nine years. I was being broken for nine years after I told God no when I, went to, when I didn't go to Como, Texas. Brokenness was the result. I believe I am still suffering some of the consequences of those decisions. And some of them I may suffer for the rest of my life. The brokenness is always the result of sin, but there is a fix. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that says you can know God's will, you can know God's plan, you can have a relationship, and you can fix this if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin... And trust the one who died on the cross for you. Believe that his, sal- his, his sacrifice was enough for your salvation. And then you are able, through that relationship with Jesus Christ, to recover and pursue God's design. You can know his will for your life. You can restore that relationship. And you can begin to fulfill your calling and your ministry. Because we all have one in Christ. That's our calling today. It won't be easy. Following God's will won't be easy. Knowing God's will may not be easy. It's absolutely worth it. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for the honesty of your scripture. That you show us the reality of, of, the, of our heroes of the faith. Paul all the way back to Adam. The heroes were, were, were failures, much of the time and they were all sinners and you still used them and we sinners and failures you will still use us thank you for that promise lord i pray for the one who's listening this morning who's never trusted jesus christ as their savior they, they wonder how they can fit into god's will and god's plan and, and and we know this is how a relationship with you through jesus christ i pray today that they will have that they will come and seek that lord i Thank you that you still speak through your word, that no one is too far gone to be used by you, no believer, no church, and that you're going to continue to work through the lives of every one of us if we will listen and we will pray, 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 pray. You'll show us. Lord, we love you, and we ask you to do a work in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what's your decision this morning? You need to accept Christ. You'd like to be baptized, recommit your life, lead a life of holiness. There's a a will that God has for you that you've been denying, running from, and you you need to be obedient, maybe you need to join our church, maybe you want to just share something with us on a connection card, prayer request, something like that. Do that, we'd love to talk to you. Tom will be to my right, I'll be down here on the left. If you'd like to pray with us, like for us to pray with you, that'd be great. Let's stand. Let's sing, worship, continue to worship this morning. If you're watching online, maybe you just want to comment or send the church a message so we can pray for you there. But in these few moments that we have left, as we sing, you do business with God.